Had a delightful chat with a man that many of us know for his meteoric rise in SaaS. He was the CRO that took HubSpot public, board member of every goddamn solution in your tech stack, senior lecturer at the Harvard Business School. We all know this. But do you know Mark's superhero origin story? Did you know that he was a spiritual person? I bet you didn't, because everyone seems to always ask him the same questions on these. And if you know anything about me is I don't like doing the same thing that Tom, Dick, and Jane do. So sit back and don't hit skip because you're about to get to know Mark Roberge a little bit differently. Vamanos! Wouldn't it be nice if you could just have a customer sign the contract right away? No more back and forth to figure out whose name goes where, who signs this, who signs that. Wouldn't it be nice to not have to sit on your hands once that DocuSign gets fired up? Because who knows when they'll have time to get to it. Why not just have the customers sign an app? Oh, that's because it didn't exist until this week. Easy Sign by Salesbricks is the easiest way to get customer signatures on sales contracts, period. Sell more without waiting around. Get with Salesbricks today. I love your uniqueness. I love your uniqueness. We have good chemistry. You're made for this, man. You're calling. Mark, welcome to SalesBrick Studio South here in sunny Austin, Texas. Thank you so much for joining us today. You bet, Brian. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. You want to jump into it? Let's do it. Mark, what was your superhero origin story? You looked at the world one way, then something happened and it all changed. This is awesome. I've never had that question before and it's rare. Honestly, it would be a theme of nonconformity that has become such a first principle for my life. I think like any teenager and college student, you're looking around at your peers. What are they doing? How are they dressing? What are they aspiring to be? What are they studying? What are they doing for jobs? And then I think it was, I landed at Accenture after school, which was a very common thing to do at that time for people who graduated near the top of their class. And it was in the late nineties when the entrepreneur thing was happening for the first time in American society, potentially in the way that we know it today. That anyone could do it. Yeah, anyone could do it. Before yeah. that, it was something for bored rich people. No one when I was an undergrad was like, oh, I'm going to be an entrepreneur. These days, half the kids are like, let's be an entrepreneur. Yeah. But it just wasn't accessible. And then when the whole explosion happened and I looked around and I was like, holy cow, I don't have to wear the suit. I don't have to max my 401k out. I don't need to show up at nine and leave at five and fight traffic. I don't have to specialize in SAP implementations for biotech companies based in New York. You don't have to go oh, down that funnel. Right. From then on, I was like, everyone's swimming in this little lane and there's all these rocks over here that you can turn over that no one is and it's beautiful. And since then, the minute I look like everyone else, I start getting freaked out. You know, what car should I get? Where should I live? What should I do for a job? The minute it sounds like anyone else, I'm like, oh my God, that's wrong. You're not keeping up with the Joneses. No, definitely not, dude. I am so happy being a nonconformist for the last 20 years or something. Awesome. So the theme of nonconformity. All right. Exactly. First principle, man. The first principle. I don't <laughs> want to be like the fish over there. I want to be my own, you know. Exactly. I tell my students all the time because MBA programs are one of the worst, right? Different five-year periods. It's like banking, consulting, entrepreneurship, biotech. Folks, just get way outside that narrow little swim lane and yeah. you'll find some beautiful things. I remember graduating in 2007 and I went to Penn State. Everyone got into finance. I feel like it was 10, 15 years of just they've been their world. And that was where you kind of went into. And I was always like, I don't want to do that. And it's been 10 yeah. years of not being on the top. And I'm not saying I'm on the top, but it's sort of like when you do your own thing and it finally kind of turns around, it feels like the world is finally moving around for you. Yeah. And it right? also depends how you define the top, right? Right. So I think you seem like a pretty centered, happy individual. And I think things will only get better. 
Thank you, man. It's something I've been working on. It really is something that you have to <laughs> cool. work on every day coming from being cool. a jaded New Yorker. Mark, tell me something from your early days at HubSpot that someone today would find hard to believe. In an abstract way, things always felt like a mess. We were never being like, oh yeah, let's go out for drinks. Our company's so awesome. We're going to be a huge success. That day never existed. And I'll give you a very specific example. The churn of our customers in February of 2008 was 9%. We lost 9% of our customer base in one month. Do the math on that, dude. Over 12 months. 100% logo churn. I mean, if anyone looked at that and was like, today, what's your churn rate? Oh, 100% annual. And say, why are we in the room? <laughs> why are we talking? <laughs> and it wasn't an anomaly. It wasn't like the month before it was 1% and the month after it was 1%. I mean, we're talking five, six, eight, six. It was climbing. There's a good example of everything was a mess. That's interesting just because... I mean, HubSpot is considered such a darling in the CRM world because of the show that's going on at Salesforce. I love talking about these things with entrepreneurs because it's always a mess. Whether you talk to the folks at Snowflake or Zoom or Atlassian or Salesforce, there's no company who the entrepreneurs are like, oh yeah, I had this idea one day and I started telling investors and they loved it. Everyone gave me tens of millions of dollars and I started selling customers and they loved it. And my product worked right from the beginning and we just exploded and we went IPO and now I'm a billionaire. That That's never it happened. No. Someone's never. hair's on fire every day. Every day. So it's really important to Not know ours. that as an Not entrepreneur. Ours. Our hair would, if our We're hair goes blessed. on fire, no, that'd be very bad. blessed. Mark, let very me blessed. ask a little side question here. What do you use in your hair? I want to know what product. <laughs> I actually just went for a run, so I'm all natural right now. I used to be like a crazy, it's just wet because I just showered, but I used to be a crazy product guy. You can Google my name and look back in pictures 10, 15 years ago, and everyone would make fun of my hair because <laughs> I was so meticulous about it. As of late, I've just gone big Dude, Lebowski now. You've gone 1970s like a... wearing headbands. I have glasses that I wear all the time that I don't wear on camera much because it's too much right now. I, I need to get like a couple more unicorns before I can really go all out. What is an unusual habit or absurd thing that you love? If you've ever gone out with me later on, happy hour or drinks or whatever, and we're just chilling, I write down jokes all the time. And I have it in my Evernote. I have about a hundred jokes that I've written down over 10 years. I love that. You write jokes. I too write jokes. I write them in the middle of the night, Mark. Thank you so much for that answer. Here's another one that kind of goes with that a little bit. What do you like to do when you feel overwhelmed or unfocused? Uh -huh. What gets you back on track? I found meditation in my life after I found entrepreneurship because it was in 2000. I found entrepreneurship in 1997 or eight, and I found meditation in 2004 because I was staying in Cape Cod for the summer and two houses down was a library. And it was a little like neighborhood library. We weren't dealing with five stories of options here. And I went Limited. into, what is it? The card catalog with the Dewey Decimal System. Dewey. And I was like, all right, what do I need to reflect on? I have to reflect on stress. And that's going to be my Achilles heel because I know I want to do some really big things in my life, but some stress stressful things, stressful things. <laughs> okay. And two books came up and the first one was called the relaxation response. So I read it and it was awesome by Herbert Benson. Turns out this guy, what this guy did, he's actually a very famous professor at Harvard Medical School and did a lot of research on meditation and tried to take the spiritual aspects out of it to understand the scientific aspects. Physical, right. He did these neuron tests or something with these rats and he found the part of the brain that caused the fight or flight response, was able to trigger it in rats and the ones that he did, they died of a heart attack two months later. And then he's like, hey, can I find the opposite, the relaxation response? And he found it. So he triggered these rats. 
And he also triggered this other part and they didn't die. So he found the way to offset it. He's like, how can you get this relaxation response in your brain to do it? And he found it in meditation. He basically extracted all the aspects of meditation down to the scientific aspects of like a mantra and the way it calms your mind and the breathing techniques that cause it. So I became obsessed with meditation at that point. And I meditate every day. It's changed my life. After I meditate, I feel like I just went on vacation for a week. That's so good, man. I too dealt with a lot of that, you know, kind of getting into tech and being in sales and tech. It's extremely stressful. It's so stressful carrying the quote uh, every month. Yeah. And listen, I'm not a bag holder these days, but it's still stressful. We of are course. in the startup world and I'm putting yeah. myself out there. And Yeah. You're probably not doing anything that critical if you don't have a number. You always have a number, whether you're a VC or a CEO. Or... Yeah. The KPIs went from cold calls to just getting reaction, getting some yeah. sort of reaction from folks, yeah. whether it be on the exactly. podcast, in the content, right? It went from cold calls to get some giggles. So yeah. it's been pretty fun yeah. here at SalesBricks. Mark, you've been in tech for quite a little while now. What do the great companies always seem to have in common? What do they nail? Yeah, they put customer attention and success ahead of top line revenue growth. And it's unusual. I mean, hey, just that whole story, we have Adam HubSpot, right? 8% customer logo retention in one month. We were coming out of an era of software, of enterprise software of the 80s and 90s, where it was all about the contract. The software right, didn't have right. to work. It was just like, once they bought it, they were stuck with it for 10 years, shelfware, all that stuff. Salesforce. And we were coming in, yeah, we were, well, Salesforce is interesting because they were a transitional thing where that kind of worked, but they were also a cloud and the cloud makes that world go away. It's more like SAP and Siebel where it's implemented. Salesforce is the opposite. You keep making kind of jokes about Salesforce and they're a great company, but I guess what you're kind of alluding to is no one is happy with the price they're paying Salesforce potentially. And because they just have brilliant switching costs, right? They just become the operating system of the business and that allows them to really charge a lot for it. Yeah. So I think it's just customer attention and it's like, you roll your eyes to that, but it's like 20 years later, we're still effing it up. Everyone is all about top line revenue growth. And fortunately or unfortunately, we're going this crazy economy right now. So efficiency is the theme and we're backing away from it a little bit. It's all about revenue I mean, growth. The first thing needs to be retention and that's the priority. Yeah, I get you all get it, but seriously, put it at the beginning of your board deck. Put it as the first metric you mentioned to the companies. Compensate your salespeople based on it. As investors, ask that first, not about top line revenue growth. Let's really start acting like it is the top North Star. And that's what good companies do. That's awesome. And it's really interesting because so many people think it's the other way around. As you're seeing, of course, I'm showing up to stage two, to pitch to stage two. What do I think they're going to want to see? The numbers. I do want to see the numbers. You know, it, but I want like, to see you know, your logo retention and your revenue retention. I want to see how many times they use your product every week. I want to see how quick they set it up. It's like I'm sitting there in the board meeting. I'm like, dude, when are we going to get to something that means anything here? Is this yeah. the net retention slash gross retention conversation? Yeah, and the lead indicators okay. of it. The retention that you have today is a function of what you did last year. We kind of have to get ahead of that too. Are people using your product? Are they seeing ROI? Can we measure that stuff? Customer ahead of top line money making. Mm -hmm. Pay attention to your customer number one. There's yeah, the money making is the outcome. Yeah. That's a lagging indicator or outcome. Mark, the only constant there is, it's change. Millennial buyers that want things now and conveniently are starting to outnumber the baby boomers that didn't mind the long sales cycle and the three martini lunch to get deals done, to get them over the line. What do you think vendors need to do to adapt to the new buyer? Yeah, product-led growth. You frame it in the quote, like change. I think it was Ben Franklin that said, when you're finished changing, you're finished. So I think you're absolutely right. And you're absolutely right in this defrictionizing or whatever 
of the sales funnel that started with moving from, like you said, the martinis and the golf courses and the steak dinners to inside sales and Zoom, like at the time, WebExes and GoToMeetings, now Zoom calls to PLG. PLG is the next generation. And it's an exciting time because I've said this many times. I do think PLG has the disruptive potential that SaaS had. It just reminds me so much of it. In the early days of SaaS, 04, 05, all the public equity analysts were like, oh, it's never going to work. You know, what CIO is going to put their data in the cloud? This just doesn't make sense. And then 10 years later, all these SaaS first companies are eating the lunches of these categories. And I think that's what's going to happen to PLG in this decade is PLG will, as we look ahead and say 2028, 2030, the companies that are dominant in each category will be a PLG first company. Same thing that SaaS happened. All the on-prem people, once they're like, oh yeah, the SaaS thing's working, we have to switch to SaaS. Impossible. BCG and McKinsey printed billions of dollars trying to help these companies do it. Very few people pulled it off. That were it started like, it off as on-prem. On-prem and to like, move to it, to shift the aircraft carrier over there, as opposed to the jet that was just going, yeah. taking the market. Same thing with PLG. Once you get 5 million, 10 million, 50 million, 100 million, 200 million in revenue, and then you're like, oh, let's switch to PLG. Impossible. Without <laughs> cannibalize. No one has the guts to do it. They have to cannibalize their revenue stream and do it. There's a playbook to do it, but no one can pull it off. It's too expensive. You're going to go from 200 million to 50 million overnight. No one's willing to do that. So the PLG person wins. And it's like so like SaaS. The only difference that makes it a little less impactful than SaaS is SaaS was applicable to almost every tech category and PLG is not. And I've written about this. PLG is not applicable to enterprise HR software. SaaS was. But no, no one's disrupting Workday with PLG. No one's adopting a payroll system and benefit system through PLG. This is not happening. There has to be a low time and effort to value. The end user needs to be the primary beneficiary. Single player mode helps. If you're in a category that doesn't need to be evangelized and could be described in a 10 word Instagram ad, that's helpful. If there's virality, that's helpful. Like there's all these things that helps it. And if you don't have any of that, it's not PLG. So that's the only difference is it's not as applicable. But for the categories that it is, you got to disrupt yourself or you're going to be looking over your shoulders the next 10 years. You're going to be looking at your shoulders or you're going to look at your plate and realize there's a lot less food on it. Exactly. Think of the last time you imported a spreadsheet. Did it work the first time? Chances are it didn't. You probably got some weird elusive error and had to try a bunch of things like removing the blank title rows above your column headers, finding and replacing the special characters that found their way in there, or you had to Google how to save with UTF-8 encoding. Enter Flatfile. Flatfile is a data onboarding platform built to take the pain out of importing customer data into your product. With Flatfile, your product experience is a world-class on day one. It's built to handle everything from data mapping, field validation, and is designed to blend right into your platform. Flatfile turns a frustrating process for everyone into a delightful first touch experience for your customers. If you're ready to onboard millions of rows of customer data in minutes, visit flatfile.com. Mark, thank you so much for that answer. Let's pop over to this next one. So we were part of the stage two accelerator program this past summer. We really enjoyed it. John doesn't stop talking about it. Tell me, Mark. (laughs) What do you think makes Stage 2's program different from others? Yeah, so we are the go-to-market accelerator, right? So, so many of the accelerators are more focused like Y Combinator, Techstars, that kind of stuff is like early, 
right? I have an idea. Now I have to ideate and build the product, build MVPs, find product market fit, all that kind of stuff. We're in the next phase. Okay. Now you have 20,000, 50,000, 100,000 ARR. It's working. How do I hire my first salesperson? How do I pay them? How do I set up my first pricing plan? How do I stand up my first cold calling program? How do I do PLG? How do I do content marketing? How do I align sales and marketing? All the first stuff. That's what our accelerator is. So that's how we're different. And it kind of rolls into a bigger thing about how stage two is different. If you don't know us, we're on our third fund. We are backed by 400 go-to-market professionals. They put in pretty substantial checks. So the CRO, CMO, CCO, head of RevOps from Snowflake, Zoom, Salesforce, Asana, Lassian, Drift. We have a lot of all the tech categories covered, most of the unicorns covered, and that allows us to see deal flow from all those places, get the right help to diligence deals, and most importantly, get the right help to support our portfolio on all these different dimensions of B2B software. And so that's what makes us unique. And there's a million ways that we express and feed into that uniqueness of being the go-to-market experts. And our accelerator is one of those. And I can tell you firsthand. It was a fantastic program. The quote that I have up, it was actually our guy, Steve, was, I think we got another introduction or another meeting through the experience two days ago. And yeah. the quote was, stage two is the gift that keeps giving. Nice. I swear. Yeah. I was like, that's awesome. That one down. Well, thank you for that. Mark. Yeah. Yeah. Thank really you for cool. that. We appreciate it. We work hard on it. And those are the stories that wake us up every day. It's awesome. Mark, I'm getting a call here from John, my CEO. Good timing. Yeah. This is really good timing. You should take it. Let's see what he says. Okay. Okay. Hey, John, what's up? I'm on with Mark. Okay, I'll ask him. Mark, so John wants to know, first off, he says, hi. Mark, what did you think of my pitch for SalesRix during the boardroom session? All right, I just asked him. I'll talk to you later. Mark, what do you think? How do you do? I mean, money talks, dude. Terrible. I'm just kidding. No, it was awesome, dude. What was great about it was the quote to Cash Arena. I actually didn't know that much about it. It wasn't a huge thing when I was yeah. CRO at HubSpot for our context. And just the way he laid it out and was able to take just the right level of here's where you are and here's where you need to get them to understand the value prop and where this place is going. He nailed that. A lot of people like their CEOs, they're too in their day-to-day -day and they can't go back and be like, hey, listen, you're talking to people that don't live in this world every day. Right. And he was just so good at coming back to like, we tried to go get every tier one VC to attend that meeting. And a lot of them did. And we had everyone in there, Bessemer, Sequoia, like A16Z, all that stuff. Yeah. And he did just such a good job of- Putting you, know, you like, in that world. Yeah, putting us in that world Feeling and like pain, taking yeah, us yeah. and like helping us see that. That was wonderful. John, you did a really good job. <laughs> That's really good. That was our first live call-in. Really nicely yeah. done. We're starting something different here. We're going to take a question from Twitter. This one comes from our go-to-market guy, Steve Ruiz. This is a huge fan, and he's our guy here at SalesRex. And he asks, Mark, the sales acceleration formula is eight years old this coming April. If you could write one more chapter or add one more formula, what would it be about? What has been the most important change in the sales landscape? Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, these things have to kind of build on each other. So PLG is the answer, but there's an implication of PLG on go-to-market. And that actually was my Saster speech this year. Lemkin has me out a lot to Saster, which I enjoy. I enjoy the platform. I enjoy supporting him. And it's almost like an annual thing for me to like do a fresh deck. You know what I mean? It's kind of like my annual clock on what is my annual thing going to be. And so it's cool because I think he likes it because he gets the first dibs on fresh content. And I like it because it's probably the best platform to launch it in. And uh, this year was optimizing GTM for PLG. So that really is the answer. An example is Compliance. They're still in the on-prem world. You get most of your pay for the first revenue from a customer and then the expansion revenue is less. 
which is like that kind of intuitively makes sense, especially in the on-prem world where it was really hard to get your foot in the door. And then a renewal and expansion was easy because you already had a relationship. Right. What are they going to rip everything out? Exactly. What are they going to do? But in PLG, it puts the salesperson at odds with the way the customer's buying because they're like, oh, this is awesome. I want to buy two seats and try it out. And then I'll buy the hundred seats next quarter when, after we've tested it, like that's yeah. the beauty of PLG. And the rep is like, no, no, you got to buy all hundred now. And they make up I'm some not gonna get money on that excuse, other one. but it's really because it's why they get paid. You got to pay your reps more for their expansion and no one does that. Right. And it's detrimental to the customer. It's detrimental yeah. to the part that you talked about. That is the most exactly. important one. Right. It's, like, it's little know. things like that, which is like, when you look, you're like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. But no one does it. Photopath is addressing this, aren't they? Mm -hmm. Yeah. A little broader than that. Yeah. Thank you for that, Brian. You know, I, we believe that the quota design and implementation and alignment process needs a little refresh, especially from a software support standpoint. And we've got a great team, entrepreneur, founder, and Quotapath going after that. So this is part of it. Like it's not restricted to PLG. It's like anyone designing sales comp plans. It's for that, but that's part of it. Got it. Who do you think we should interview next? I do think you should interview AJ Bruno next, who is the founder of Quotapath, just because we are going into a time right now where a lot of the go-to-market needs to be rethought because we have a macro change that's happening. And that's something that very few people think about. And one of the best ways to drive go-to-market change is through pay and quotas and how that commissions work. So AJ is an unbelievable founder. He's very charismatic. So I think like going awesome. and interviewing him would be amazing. Okay. Mark, what kind of music do you like listening to? I like putting together a mm. spot Spotify mixtape for all my yeah, guests. Sure. So hit me with a couple. Yeah, of I try to stay with, I guess, what people my age would consider to be modern hits, but like, I guess my teenage sons would say that's so old. Yeah, let's, I want to hear like, what they think is lame of you. That's exactly what I want to hear. Yeah, I mean, I'm listening to like Jack Harlow. First okay. Class is one of my favorites. I listened to a lot of Post Malone last year. Okay. Kid Leroy, I liked a lot. And some of like the hidden ones are like Surfaces, which I think turned Ooh. into Forest, which I really like. That's kind of like a California vibe, even though they're out of Texas, I believe. But yeah, those, that's the okay. stuff I like. And then the Forever stuff is just like, I love classic rock. I love reggae, big Marley fan, love Grateful Dead stuff. Awesome, dude. That's the first time someone said reggae. Oh yeah, I love Marley. One classic rock band that you like. I guess Pearl Jam's more like, I love oh, Eddie Vedder oh, and his oh. newer stuff, but that's more like the oh, grunge era. Grunge, yeah, yeah. Uh, I love running to ACDC. Okay. I love CCR. That's a little more old school. I loved Petty. Mark, unfortunately, because I'm having a really good time, we've arrived at the final question. It happens to be everyone's favorite question. <laughs> it's the billboard question. You ready? Yeah. Mark, if you could have a billboard with anything on it, I'm paying for it. Everyone would see it every single day yeah. driving yeah. by. What would it be and why? Okay. I don't talk about it too much, but I'm actually a very spiritual person. I'm probably a religious person too, and it take a while to talk about the difference. I'm a deacon at my local church. Cool. I grew up Catholic. Me too. Uh, and I pray every day. And there's a first principle that I have as a prayer, which is I hope that I can replace ego with humility, fear with faith, and greed with service. And that's what I strive to do every day. So that would probably be my billboard. That's so good, man. I hope that I can replace ego with humility, fear with faith, and greed with service. That's your, Yeah, that's I'd probably like for the billboard, it would be humble, not ego, faith, not fear, service, not greed. That's a really good one. We have not had that one. It's going to look really good. <laughs> you I didn't have that like, one? I haven't no one had, had it, that dude. billboard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And literally no one that has mentioned religion. That very common billboard. <laughs> that sounds pretty common. And everyone loves talking about religion on uh, I'm Not Selling You Anything. So thank you yeah. so much. We did it, man. I guess my final question is, how do you think we did? Oh, yeah, it was awesome, man. You guys are great. I love your uniqueness. 
uniqueness. I love your uniqueness. We have good chemistry. You're made for this, man. You're calling. Mark, thank you so much. It means a lot. Yeah. It really does. I'll catch you on LinkedIn. And thank you so much again for joining. All right, Brian. Humble, not ego. Faith, not fear. Service, not greed. If a stranger told me that would be Mark's answer to our billboard question, I would have asked them to get the hell out of my house. Believe it or not, that was the first time Mark and I had ever officially spoken one-on-one, and I feel like it won't be the last. Mark, thank you from the bottom of my heart. Now everyone knows we're best friends. It's pretty sick. And to our listeners, hope you enjoyed getting to know Robert's a little bit differently. That said, tune in next week when we interview Mark's hairstylist. All right, see you later!